This is 105.9 The Region, and you're listening to Discovery, the radio show for podcasters. Your content, unfiltered. This is Discovery. This is Mental Health Moments, the podcast dedicated to breaking down barriers and sharing your stories. Brought to you by 105.9 The Region. Hey there and welcome to another episode of Mental Health Moments, hosted by yours truly, Phil McCabe, and brought to you by 105.9 The Region. This podcast, in my view, is designed to share the stories of as many people as humanly possible and delve into what mental health means and how it impacts people in so many different ways. As of the date of recording, I'm fully vaccinated against COVID-19. I'm very excited about that, very happy about that, and countless others are as well across Canada. But according to new research data, nearly half of Canadians are anxious about going back into the office. And joining me today to talk about that and really delve into this research is Michael Cooper, the Vice President of Development and Strategic Partnerships for Mental Health Research Canada. Michael, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. So right out of the gate, uh, I read the press release that was forwarded to me, and I found it both surprising and not at all surprising that 46% of Canadians are anxious about getting back to work. So why do you think that is? Is it purely a fear of COVID-19, or is there other mitigating circumstances that are making people anxious? The data that you're referring to that that press release came out from was actually our poll six in a series of, of polls um, and that data would have been from middle of April. Um, I'm actually happy to share with you as well, uh, for future conversations, we're going to release Poll 7 next week, which was some data from mid-June, which I'll quote a few spots here and there um, throughout. So, you know, having gone through that in terms of why people were most concerned about going back to the workplace, the number one concern was uh, fear of catching the virus. Specifically, we saw on a number of uh, respondents were indicating the Delta variant being a, a great concern. And the other point we noted, people were returning to the office. They weren't sure um, what their offices were going to look like. And they didn't know who they could be around, what it would look like from those who were vaccinated versus those who weren't vaccinated. Um, So there's a lot of uncertainty in April. Um, Some of it's resolved a little bit since then, but a lot of it, and especially that concern around the virus, hasn't really gone away. You talked about the different variants and stuff in the research study that's about to come out next week. Do you find that there's much of a difference in terms of like the number of or the percentage of people that are concerned about going back to work or has that weaned since the last survey? So it's weaned a little bit. Um, you know, we have the one number which said 46% of people were specifically concerned about the workplace. We asked another question where we asked how many people were having significant uh, lingering concerns around COVID-19 going forward. And I think it was like 72, 73% in poll six, and it went down 8% to 63 or 64% in poll seven. So we are seeing a slight reduction in the number of people who are having lingering concerns around the virus. Um, and that is having an impact on mental health with a reduction in uh, levels of anxiety. Um, but it's not even across the board. We're seeing that specifically, especially in older Canadians, um, in terms of their anxiety going down and their concerns as more and more of that group gets fully vaccinated. Um, but we're actually not seeing that movement in some of the younger age groups. And why do you suppose that is? Are, are younger people just a little bit more stubborn in their ways? Are they just more reluctant <laughs> to release those those negative feelings? Well, I think one thing we've been tracking is resiliency. And I uh, one thing we've noted specifically is that there are lower levels of resiliency. It's something you develop over a lifetime. We do see lower levels of resiliency in younger people. Um, we have also specifically seen that there has been greater impact from things like the lockdowns and um, uh, economic concerns, precarious employment, um, and especially young parents as well, too. So there's a lot more of those mitigating factors that we see in young people, which are not distinctly tied to the virus itself. 
Well, and that makes sense too. I, I know from my own experience, um, I never had a concern about uh, losing work because of COVID-19. Thankfully, I've been able to work remotely. But the flip side, both my siblings who both have children were now put in a position that they were completely laid off, completely without work. And they fit into that younger demographic of, okay, what now, what next? I wanted to pivot a little bit and kind of get your opinion if this is more an anecdotal thing or if there's kind of science that supports my thought process. I'm not so much anxious about the virus itself, but more so the the change in routine, the change in how I've been yeah. spending the past 16 months trying to get my my office at home situated and what have you. Mm-hmm. Is that a commonality? commonality amongst younger people or am I the outcast in this scenario? Well, it, it did come up as something we did catch in the data. So there was significant enough that there were people that were saying it and it was worth categorizing for us. I wouldn't say it was a, a major concern. My recollection was uh, work life, resetting a work-life balance or changing how it was within the 10% category. I have to go back and check my notes, but um, I, I do recall coming across that, but it wasn't the largest concern. And Again, you know, we, we asked them for what were the greatest concerns. So I, I wouldn't necessarily say that it's just 10%. It might be that people had a greater concern about going back to the virus, going back to the office and potentially catching the virus. And then the secondary concern would be something along that lines. But it wasn't a primary concern for the bulk of Canadians. We've talked about concerns about going back into the office. Since this is a mental health show, can you try and provide some kind of insight into how employers, how individuals can help mitigate some of these concerns for their people? I know organizations like WSPSO and, and a few other organizations have been looking, especially Labour Canada as well, um, have been looking at specifically mental health and such things like the Labour Code. And, and how we can help mitigate some of those challenges. My, my first thing I would say is there's a significant concern among the, un, uh, the unvaccinated around um, stigma, stigma being unvaccinated. The inverse of those individuals not knowing who's safe to be around uh, if they want to avoid unvaccinated individuals. The inverse of that is the individuals who are not vaccinated indicated significant concern around stigma. So there's got to be some sort of way to manage those sort of two different groups um, operating in an environment. I do know that a lot of workplaces are talking about changing schedules, having people come in part-time into the office versus they might have been going to the office um, full-time. And we actually do track information about people who expect that they're going back to the office full-time versus people who expect they're going back to the office part-time. And there is a number of people who, who think their, their workplace is going to manage um, COVID specifically by trying to reduce the number of people in the office as sort of a primary concern. So those would be the two things I would be specifically alert to. And I'd also just caution to understand that there are specific groups, you know, we've noticed LGBTQ, uh, we've noticed, as I said, young people, especially the, the youngest, 18 to 24, or 16, 17, have had specific challenges around COVID and this extensive sort of long-term trauma that they've been through. Just be sensitive to those sorts of issues as people sort of reacclimatize themselves to the office. Well, and pivoting back to the young versus old demographic and the information that I pulled from in this survey, it, uh, it showed that the people 55 and older were less likely to report mental health concerns like depression and anxiety, whereas younger people were more open to that. That didn't surprise me. But what did surprise me was how close in numbers 55 and older were in reporting their concerns due to COVID-19, as well as young people. I thought that was fascinating from the standpoint of, OK, they won't talk about mental health, but they will talk about yeah. mental health as it pertains to a worldwide pandemic. Yeah, no, I do agree. And certainly we've seen a lot of movement on this question of stigma. 
um, around mental health, which has changed dramatically over a generation, and I think for the better. Um, one thing I would say is that we do track mental health in a number of ways. So we ask for self-reported levels. So I mean, where are you on a scale? Uh, how would you rate your anxiety, your depression? How would you have rated it before COVID? Where do you think you're going to be? And then we also, of course, administer the Kessler Psychological Distress Scale, uh, the THC-9, and the GAD-7, as well as the Sheehan Disability Scale. So we do have a lot of different tests that we sort of look at as people are assessing their own mental health. I would say that on some, like the GAD-7, we actually noted there were three times as many young people um, who would have been classified as severe on that scale. Um, so it was much more extreme when you looked at some of the, the clinical tests versus some of the self-rated scales. And some of them look at symptoms, of course, versus how you would rate yourself. So the different sort of tests do show different sort of discrepancies, and the clinical ones do show a bigger gap than some of the self-rated scales. Uh, you talked about clinical versus self-reported. Was there anything about that research that kind of surprised you and your team as you were putting this information together? We've been doing this for a long time. Like We started this in April 2020. Um, so by the time um, April 2021 rolled around, I don't think there was a whole lot to surprise us anymore because we'd been shocked through the whole thing. Um, some of the stuff that's really surprised me um, are suicide ideation rates have really surprised me. Um, the fact that the virus itself wasn't a prime motivator, but social isolation was. Um, Looking at some of the activities, like uh, the only one that remained positive through the pandemic um, in terms of positive things you can do to manage mental health was going outside and being active. Um, so some of those surprised me. The other one that significantly surprised me is just how much some specific groups like LGBTQ were impacted, where we saw, you know, they were elevated pre-pandemic and they were severely elevated um, post-pandemic. We look at the data and we do our best to interpret it. Um, and, you know, sometimes we, we see things like this that are shocking to us and we try and figure out what's going on. Um, you know, from the, the best theory that we've seen in terms of what's going on with the LGBTQ community, for example, is... It's a community that tends to rely on community members. And when you're isolated in a social family unit, that may not be your typical support system. So, you know, we, we try and look at this data and interpret it. But those were some of the things that surprised me. Um, the increase in access to care really surprised me as well, too, with a huge number of people accessing care now that weren't accessing care previously. Um, those would be some of the things that have caught me as uh, surprising uh, since the start of the pandemic. And you mentioned access to care and how it went up because of the pandemic. Do you think that that was um, kind of piggybacking off of the uh, suicide th process? Do you think that that was almost out of desperation, for lack of a better word, that people felt that I'm, I'm not with my family, I'm not with my loved ones, I need to call someone? Do you think that was the case? Well, I think it was it was uh, need. Um, and certainly we do track need separately from access. So we look at both who's accessing care and who feels they should be accessing care is two distinct metrics. I think increased access, um, access went up dramatically. I mean, we saw investments from the federal government, from various provinces in terms of uh, uh, virtual services that they were making available. I also think that um, we talked a lot about mental health through the pandemic. So people were actually feeling like much more comfortable uh, talking about it. And it sounds kind of absurd, but I, I do think that a number of people finally acknowledged their mental health um, with the pandemic. So although, you know, our numbers show that, you know, anywhere in the year before pandemic, about 11, 12 percent were accessing services and about another, you know, 11, 12, 13 percent should have been accessing services or felt they should have. And that number has gone up to around 18 to 20 percent accessing services now um, with an equivalent number of another 10 to 15 percent who felt that they should be accessing services. So I think you've seen 
uh, a change in the way people look at mental health, which is a positive outcome. I think you've seen increase in access, uh, which is great. Um, and, and those two things working together have sort of increased the amount of people who were accessing help and talking about this. Okay, and we were speaking about accessing mental health services and what have you. I'm going to pivot a little bit for the final question of the show here, and I hope you'll indulge me. I always ask my guests a final thought of, if there's someone experiencing a mental health crisis right now that's listening to this, what would you like them to know? Well, I I want them to know they're not alone. Um, I want them to know that there are um, good services out there. Um, I work regularly, talk to Kids Help Phone. They're a great service, um, and I know they've gotten some dollars to increase their services through the pandemic. Um, I would also say there are, there are great services like Wellness Together Canada, which are, is available nationally and um, is free to use and a great service that we've partnered with and collected some work on and has been something that I think Canadians should access. And uh, we've also regularly talked to MindBeacon, which here in Ontario is um, regularly available as well. I'm, I'm really impressed that there's been a lot of investment in mental health. And I think just reach out and ask for it and don't be afraid to, to do it. I, unfortunately, not everyone can be helped through virtual services. So, you know, I'm really hopeful that as the pandemic sort of subsides, some of those really challenging situations that can't be dealt with virtually and need a little more help can be dealt with. But that, that's what I'd say is reach out. Um, you know, we do see, for example, when we look at the numbers of symptoms people are experiencing and they indicate to us whether they've had a diagnosis or not. We do see a gap, especially among the youngest Canadians, 16, 17-year-olds. Um, and when we look at the, what they're experiencing, what they talk about their symptoms, and then we actually look at the, how to diagnosis, we do see there's a gap in diagnosis there. So I would say that if you're really struggling, talk to a doctor. Um, because once you've been diagnosed, um, you know, you, you should, it hopefully would be easier to access services at that point. And. I kind of lied to you a little bit. That's not the last question I have for you. The last question I have for you is, if someone wants to access these studies and get more information about all these numbers and statistics we're showing here, or talking about here, rather, how can they do that? Where can people go to get this information? So um, we're fortunate that we're funded to continue doing this work till March 2022, and we publish a report on um, about every two months at our website, mhrc.ca, and just go to National Polling COVID. Um, and we're we're publishing, as I mentioned, our next one next week, um, and they can get that one plus all the previous reports on our website. We also have an interactive portal so that if people want to be able to select by age or gender or province, they're able to do so and understand a little bit more. Um, and I hope all of your listeners would would uh, would be interested in taking a look at that. Michael Cooper, thank you so much for joining me on Mental Health Moments. It's uh, it's been an enlightening conversation, and I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me. This has been Mental Health Moments, brought to you by 105.9 The Region. If you or someone you love is struggling with mental health concerns, contact a local agency near you. Do you have an idea or a podcast to share? Send it to us here at Discovery, the radio show for podcasters on 105.9 The Region. You're listening to New Music on The Region, an interview-based podcast that showcases new music and provides industry insight. I'm your host, Christina Lavecchia, Music Director at 105.9 The Region. Whether it's a brand new talent or an established artist, we bring you conversations with performers from York Region and beyond.
this episode of New Music on the Region podcast, I'm chatting with Vancouver-based singer and songwriter Madison Olds. Although Madison is fairly new to the music scene, she has open stages for Willie Nelson, Casey Musgraves, Neon Dreams, and Scott Hellman. And her radio hit Best Part of Me reached the top 30 of several charts, including Billboard's Canada Emerging Artists chart. Earlier this month, Madison released her EP, Drowning in My Thoughts, and two new tracks called Cliché of Falling in Love and If You Wanna. Madison joins me now. Hi, Madison. Hello. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us. And first off, I want to congratulate you on Drowning in My Thoughts. It just came out last week. Songs from the EP already got over 1.5 million streams collectively on Spotify alone. How has the past week been for you since the big release? You know what? It's been good. Like releasing music now is like driving in my car to go get groceries. It's like you do it and you're like, okay, next one. (laughs) You know, it's like it becomes uh, part of your routine. So as much as there's like still excitement, uh, it's definitely a habit now. And I'm like, okay, when can I do the next one? And then the next one. And then, okay, this part. And, and so, but no, it's, it's been really exciting. And it seems like people are really enjoying the two new songs off of it. Some of the singles have been out for almost a year now. Mm-hmm. And people are still really liking them. And I think that that's always a really good sign. And was the album written and recorded during the pandemic? Or was it something that was in the works from before? So all the songs, except for Cliché, I've been sitting on for a couple of years now. If You Wanna uh, was written almost a year and a half ago, and I've been wanting to release it for so long now, and uh, I'm just super excited to finally have it out. But no, I uh, all of these are, are a little bit older, and uh, the songs that I've been writing through COVID are very different, and I think there's probably a lot more angst in them. I don't know why. Maybe just the social situation? I don't know. <laughs> Thank you for breaking me down I learned who I was And your 2019 release was your debut album, Blue. Was writing and recording this album different for you? You know what it was? When I did Blue, I had a residency at the Banff Arts or uh, Music or the Banff Arts Center, something like that. Gosh, it was so long ago. And I had an intention of just wanting to do an EP. And so I had about four weeks in this little hut in the middle of nowhere with like five feet of snow on either side of it. And I was locked in there with alcohol and a guitar and a piano. And so I I had the intention of wanting to write an album. Whereas this was just singles that I had kind of put together through the last couple of years and different stories, which is kind of why Drowning in My Thoughts came about because it's a, a lyric from Best Part of Me, but that all the songs are kind of just this cluster of emotions and, and feelings. So Blue is very, like, contrived and, and put together, whereas Drowning in My Thoughts is, like, the epitome of the chaos that goes in my mind. <laughs> and although, like, the pandemic has been quite a challenge for everybody and the music industry and artists, and it's been so hard to, I guess, to kind of, you know, you've released an album this year and was it hard to kind of get really excited about um the recognition you've been getting and your songs have been hitting the radio and the billboard charts has it been really hard to get to get excited about it i think so i mean i think we celebrate things differently now i can't go out well i guess now i can (laughs) but um before you know we couldn't go out and, and have a party or have like a release party or a show i would have loved to have done um, like a showcase with all the music off of the EP to celebrate it on the day of. And celebration is definitely 
been different. I feel like things are very mellow because of COVID, but I almost feel like that's better because um, the wind comes and goes like super quickly and, and then I'm forced to get back into work and keep putting my nose to the ground and, and working on other projects and keep myself busy. So it's it's kind of like a half good, half bad. <laughs> Your latest releases from the new album are Cliché of Falling in Love and If You Wanna. Do you want to tell us a bit about the tracks and what inspired them? Yeah, so If You Wanna was written almost a year and a half ago and it was super fun. It had been a while since I picked up my guitar and wrote a song and so I had this fun little bass line and it was very much inspired by like the newer Jonas Brothers staff and, and uh, Watermelon Sugar. Is that how you say it? Oh my gosh. Uh, I can't reference the song unless I know the name of it. Come on, Maddie. Um, but the, the Harry Styles tune, that's like the ultimate summer song. And so that was kind of the inspiration there. And then um, the gentleman that I wrote it with, uh, we ended up writing a couple other songs that hopefully I can share with everybody in the near future one day. Um, but then I came home back to BC and I connected with an old friend who actually produced one of my singles a couple of years ago. And we wrote cliche of falling in love and I'd like to think that it's the story of Derek and I and, and how um, cliches aren't always bad and it's okay to be gushy and mushy and embarrassingly in love and it's okay to embrace each other's cliche moments. And I feel like uh, Jay, the gentleman who produced it did such a great job of making it that like super happy summer flirty vibe. And actually, and if you want it, I was like, we really need a party scene. We need a party scene in the song. And he's like, well, you know, it's, 2021 and it's illegal to have a party <laughs> so he grabs two kombucha bottles and he's like walking around the studio clinking bottles and laughing and making sounds and it was just uh it's really funny i think that video is actually on my instagram if anybody wants to go check it out what's your instagram handle i think it's maddie old music i'm very inconsistent i like to blame it on the fact that i'm an artist but yes <laughs> it's maddie old music <laughs> all right so if anybody wants to check out the video it's there You've not only made a mark on radio and the music charts, but also on TikTok. With over 430,000 followers and 13 million likes, um, we kind of take a peek into your personal life. You're open about a loss of a friend and your boyfriend Derek's road to recovery. Has social media allowed you to get closer to your fans? Yeah, you know what? I think a couple of years ago, I looked at social media as just this tool to look professional and polished and now I look at it as an opportunity for people to see a side of me that's a little bit more vulnerable and raw and I think I get excited when I see other artists doing that and I feel like we get to see this like little back door of them and, and see who they really are and what their music is about and especially TikTok like I feel like the platform is very accepting it's very creative there's a bit of a goofy side so you know people get to show this character of themselves that they don't really get to do on any of the other platforms and so I feel like just this last year and a half and I mean I'm, I'm only 23 so you know every year I mature a bit as well and I see the value in life and um, my values are changing constantly and as I'm getting older I'm seeing that it's important to just be authentic to who you are and show people the real side of you and so um, I've been trying to do that through your social media and, your, and yeah I mean Definitely with my partner, I feel like people are very excited to see stem cells and, and uh, spinal cord injury and hear all about um, that recovery. So it's been exciting to share that with everybody. 
And you never know a fan or somebody who might be just coming across your music and your profile might be going through the same thing, even though the first connection is not music, but it's your personal life and uh, you grow relationships that way as well. Oh, totally. And and through the fundraising for the stem cells, I mean, we had probably 20 people reach out to us. And now I see about five or six other people on TikTok that are doing the exact same treatment in Colombia and they're dancing to, to fundraise. So it's been really exciting to see that there was a bit of a path that we paved for other people that didn't realize that that was uh, something out there for them. And uh, hopefully we can keep inspiring people to chase roads of recovery or for anybody that's feeling mentally unwell, they know that they've got an ally in me. And if um, anybody wants to connect with Madison on TikTok, her handle is at Madison underscore old. Yeah, I know you got somewhere to be, so I will let you go. But if I were you and you love me, I would not leave me alone. And you have your own podcast out called Melodies and Menus, which you co-host with Jan Clapson, who is a restaurant critic and columnist from The Globe and Mail. And the series explores the intersection of music and food. Why food and music and how did that project come about for you? I was actually fortunate enough to be on an interview with Dan a couple months ago, just talking about food and and how it's also a bit of an art and, and there's like a bit of a connection between music and food. And I am such a speaker. I love to talk to people. I love to, to get a little bit more in, into people's lives and asking questions. And so he had reached out and said, hey, you want to do a mini podcast series with me uh, where we host it for about eight weeks and we have uh, somebody who is a little bit more versed into the arts and then somebody who's versed into food. And we have this chat with them. And, and it, it's been so much fun. I think we're halfway through now. And I just love getting to hear all of these amazing Canadian artists and, and restaurant owners and chefs, and how there is this amazing connection between music and food. And because both are such a emotional and like spiritual experience for a lot of people. And there's a lot of history behind both of them. And so it's been really nice to explore not only people's personal experience, but the experiences across Canada through food and music. Are there weekly episodes? Yes, I think they come out Thursdays, um, and they're just on all streaming platforms, and it's under Eat North, and it's called, yeah, Menus and Melodies, and it's been super fun. We had Paul Brandt, I think he was like one of our first musical artists, and such an amazing person to talk to, very humble, uh, especially for such a successful career that he, you know, has, and it was just great to get to hear his perspective on food and music. Drowning My Thoughts is out, two singles from the album are out as well, and fans are loving the new music. Are there any plans to tour or play any shows? I actually have a show coming up in September at the Westward Music Festival here in Vancouver. Oh, nice. And uh, I'm very excited to be playing that. Um, I should be accompanied uh, by a couple family members, which will be really fun, too, because I'm very family-driven. And um, this year has been, I guess the last two years have been really difficult for people who um, like to do a lot of fundraising events and uh, non-for-profit programs and uh, something that's super important to me is the SPCA and animal rescue and so in my hometown of Kamloops we're doing three weekends in the month of August at wineries where artists are coming to play and all the proceeds are going to the SPCA so I get to do that which I'm super super excited about and then that same weekend um, my parents have a small speakeasy kind of where they like to support uh, independent artists traveling to BC and they need a place to play music and stay and we'll be hosting another SBCA event there. And then I also partnered with the 100 Collective here in Vancouver and uh, I have no dates of when any of that content is coming out, but it's a nice little live segment of one of the songs off the album. So hopefully 
that comes out and people like it. And all these events, they're live in person, like people could attend them? Yeah, they are, which is so funny. <laughs> it's weird asking that question, but... <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> so if, if people want more no, information or get tickets, how can they do that? So for the Westward Festival, I believe that all information is just on their social media, Westward Fest. Um, and just their handle, Instagram, Facebook. And for the two SBCA events, they have not gone live yet. So this is kind of like a mini tease. Um, but they can keep an eye out on my social media for updates as I will happily be sharing that because it's such a great cause to be supporting. And if listeners, well, we kind of covered this a little bit, but if listeners want to connect with you online, we got your TikTok handle, which is Madison underscore Olds. And I actually have your Instagram handle here too. It's Maddie Old Music and um, same yeah. thing for Twitter. And you have a website as well? Yeah, I do. And I'm reachable on all of it. And I love when people message or, or comment or they just need a friend. Um, I always say, that when you follow, you're not a follower, but you're just another member of the family now. And, and uh, I'm always here for everybody um, just to be, you know, either big sister, little sister, friend, whatever. But I love when people reach out and uh, say hi and just tell me how they're doing. Madison, it was great speaking with you. Thank you for taking the time and joining me on New Music on the Region podcast. Thank you so much for having me. This is so much fun. If you want to dance, if you want to touch, Discovery, the radio show for podcasters, exclusive to 105.9 The Region. Expand your audience and extend your reach. Send us your podcast, info at 1059theregion.com.